if you've ever been around uh, academia, it's uh, it's an interesting bird, and they're big on uh, it is the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's the official title of the seminary, and so they like they like that. Uh, my notebook is the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. What I tell people is. Uh, you want to know why they hired me to be on faculty is uh, your semina- the seminaries are, uh, go through evaluations and accrediting is what they call it. And they have an accrediting agency that comes and they accredit, evaluate different things about the seminary, the faculty and the, you know, what they teach and curriculum and all that kind of thing. And so... When they evaluated Southern uh, some years ago, they found that the IQ of the faculty was far superior than all the other seminaries. And so the accrediting agency said, you need to bring some equity with that. So they hired me to bring it down to the level so that it would be equal with the other seminaries. So that's that's why, why I'm there. So... I want to take some time tonight and just encourage you as a believer. And as I prayed about what to preach, and, uh, you know, David asked me to kind of turn in the things that that I was going to be preaching, and and I I do that, but then I always realize that as you go through the revival, things change, and and you want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and and where He's leading. And so I, I just feel really led tonight over the next, really the next couple of nights, just to do some messages to encourage you as a believer. You know, revival is not just about us coming to grips with our sin. And I think, you know, last night, last you know, last two services we spent in introspection and looking at ourselves and realizing the separation that we have even as believers because of sin. But revival is also experiencing the blessings that God has for us and what God does for us. If you wonder about the significance and the importance of what we do here, all you had to do was turn on the television this morning. And if you uh, have any connection with, with the news, the tragedy that happened in Las Vegas, and, you know, for me personally, my son and daughter-in-law just moved from Las Vegas. He was the CFO for the Cisco Food Corporation in Las Vegas, and so I connected with him this morning when I when I something came up on my phone early about what had happened and so I contacted my son one to find out you know is he doing okay and he said well they're checking because a lot you know obviously uh a large corporation like that has a lot of people that live in Las Vegas and so they were checking to make sure that everybody was okay and I hadn't heard from him tonight to see if anything had happened if any of their employees had been injured but you know, when you go, when, when that happens, number one, I, I breathe a, a word of thankfulness to God to say, God, I'm thankful for the timing that happened. Now, I don't think, I don't think my, my son and daughter-in-law would have been at that concert, but you realize what could happen, and so I, I'm thankful for the timing where God moved them uh, just uh, a few months ago to South Carolina. But also to realize, you think of the people who lost their lives, the people who were injured, 
that the greatest concern we ought to have is not the extent of their injuries, but it is whether or not they know Jesus as their Savior. And, and that's what revival is about, is the reminder. Let's get refocused, because there are a million different things out there in the world that can distract us and get us off track. Uh, thankful tonight have Ed Goodwin, uh, Goodman here. Uh, Ed, uh, Ed and I met... Um, in Kentucky, and he's now the director of missions for the Upper Ohio Upper Ohio Valley Baptist Association, connected to our convention uh, here in West Virginia. And Ed's a, a wonderful friend, and and uh, glad to have him doing an incredible job with our churches uh, that we have here in this part of the state. And uh, honored that Ed could take out tonight and and be here. So, brother, thank you, and thanks for being here. I want you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Colossians chapter 2. And think again of the great significance of what we do as Christians. That there's, you know, there's the, the social aspect when uh, the floods happened uh, a, a, over a year ago down in the so- southeastern part of the state. The floods happened this past uh, spring Summer up here in, in this part, uh, we were very much involved up in Hundred and, and that area and are still involved. We have a number of teams that are still involved in that area and doing, uh, doing rebuild and things like that. And so that, you know, that social aspect is, is very much connected with the gospel of what we want to do. But greater than that is understanding what Jesus has done for us spiritually. And to understand what he is doing, the the evangelistic side, the the spiritual side, the eternal side of these things. Uh, For many, many people, there has been or was this individual, one individual decisive act for which they are remembered. You think of uh, the name John Bunyan. Uh, John Bunyan was a little-known preacher with Baptist distinctives back in 17th century England that no one really knew who he was or cared what he preached until he began to preach that we are saved by faith alone. And because of that heresy, he was thrown into the Bedford jail, thought that no one would hear of him again, but it was during that time that he was in the Bedford jail that he wrote that monumental work that we know as Pilgrim's Progress. And for the last 300 plus years, the name John Bunyan is known because of that one individual decisive act. Uh, We know the name Paul Revere. You learn of that name Paul Revere uh, in school. But Paul Revere was actually a silversmith in colonial America. But he's not remembered for the fact that he could make silverware. The thing that he's remembered for was that one action in which he warned the armies, the colonial armies of the impending British invasion. And even in that, he has been immortalized in poetry, in, in writing, in books, in movies. It was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow who penned this when he said, Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. On the 18th of April in 75, hardly a man is now alive who remembers that famous day and year. 
Alvin York was just an old mountain boy. Nobody knew who Alvin York was until he joined the army and he made sergeant, but still he was an unknown until during the war he captured single-handedly a large number of the enemy. And a book was written, a movie was made, and when we study about Alvin York in the history books, in the annals of history, he is remembered for that one individual decisive act. But I want you to realize that in all the actions that humanity has done, that every person, man, woman, boy and girl, any act that is done, there is one action that far is far superior than any action that any of us have done. It is an action that changed human history. It divided human time. I'm speaking of the death of Christ on the cross. Now, most of the time when we think of the cross of Christ and what Jesus did on the cross, we think of it in terms of salvation, which we should, because we realize there is no salvation outside of the death of Christ on the cross. When people say, why did Jesus have to die? Jesus died as our substitute. He took our place on the cross. He died for us. And so, it is essential to have the death of Christ and to lead us then into salvation. Salvation is not something we work for. Salvation is something that is the gift of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. But what many of us as Christians miss is the significance of the cross in our lives today. So we look back at that action and we say, well, you know, I've trusted in Christ as Savior. I I do believe that Jesus died for my sins. I do believe that He died on the cross. But what we fail to realize is what the cross does for us today and the significance that the Christian life has on us today. You see, Jesus didn't save you and then just say, well, here, you know, I'll send you out on your own. I hope that you'll make it. I hope that you can get by. I hope that you can survive. No. When Christ died on the cross and you trusted in Him as Savior, you began a new journey with Christ in your life. And so I want to focus on the cross tonight. But not just focusing on the cross for those who don't know Him. Now, if you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, listen very carefully to the things that I share. Because these will be pertinent and and important for you to understand what Jesus has done for you and how you can know Him as Savior. But I want to appeal to those of you who are believers. You know, you guys here tonight are here tonight because you want to be. I mean, let's be honest. I've... I was a pastor a long time, and you kind of know when people show up on a Monday night to come to church, they're here because you want to be here. You're not here, I don't think, because anybody forced you necessarily, uh, except for Ed, but because I forced him to come, I paid him some money and said, you will come hear me preach tonight, brother. Uh, but other than that, we're here because we, we want to be here. And yet sometimes we, we, we hear the message, but we don't really hear the message for us. And so tonight, and really even tomorrow night, I'm going to take some time and just talk to the church and talk to you as a a believer to remind you, here's what revival is. Revival is, is that renewal of our hearts as God stirs within us in understanding who Jesus is and what He has done for us. Well, what what did He do for us? Well, take a look at at Colossians chapter 2. 
Paul writes these words. We're, we're going to read through verse 15. Verse 11. He, he says that in Christ you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, that was contrary to us. And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. What is it that Christ did on the cross for us? How does that apply to you? What does it say to us as believers? Well, there's several things that I'll point out to you. Number one is that He has changed our lives. This first little section, verse, verse 11, verse 12, Paul is, is drawing from an image in the Old Testament where the Jewish males were required to go through a certain rite of passage that would identify them as Jews. And it was a, a, a picture and an image of being distinguished and being separated and, and the putting off of, of, of the old and becoming something new. Well, it, Paul uses that to describe a New Testament image for us. The image of baptism. It's interesting, you wonder why there are so many different perspectives about baptism. I think it's because baptism is one of the most significant images we have in the New Testament. And anything that would be significant for us, I think Satan is going to attack and try to divide. And and I'm not saying that to say that any group that doesn't practice baptism the way that I believe the New Testament says to, that they're of the the devil or anything like that. I don't think that's... That's not what I'm trying to say. But but we wonder sometimes, why is there the division about this? Because it's pretty clear in Scripture. Well, it's because, because Satan does not want you to experience the beauty and the image of what baptism is. See, baptism is not something for salvation. You don't get baptized in order to be saved. And, and if, you, if you believe that, what happens is you miss the entire picture of what God is doing. Because if you believe it's the way into salvation, you miss the image of what Christ has done for us. What baptism is, is that baptism is that image in which we are laid down in the water to, to picture the fact that in Christ we have become dead. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Well, He lays us down in the water to image the picture, to give us that picture that we are dead to sin now. And then we are raised up out of the water as a picture of the brand new life that we have in Christ. The eternal life that we have in Christ. You see, salvation is not just that one-time experience where... I've trusted in Christ, I've repented of my sin, I've trusted in Christ, and now it's over with. 
Let's go back to the way that I was, or the way that we were, and let's try to, to live our lives. Let's, let's do the very best that we can. No, 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 no. No, you, you've been made dead to sin, and you've been raised to walk in a new life because it is the image that Jesus Christ has changed you. See, for the Jew, there was a physical change that they were to experience. Why? To remind them they belonged to God. In the New Testament, we don't have that, that physical, that, that physical reminder, but we do have that, that image, that picture for us. That's why baptism is so critical. If you're a Christian tonight and you've never been immersed after salvation, I'm not talking about before salvation, but after salvation, you need to experience that, not because it's going to save you. No, 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 no. It is, it is a wonderful reminder Because it allows you to publicly declare, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. But it's also the declaration, Jesus has changed me. See, some Christians, and and why we, we don't experience revival, why we struggle with that, is because we get into this works mentality that makes us think, all right, I've got to do things... Uh, you know, to get God to to be pleased with me. You know, it's that works-based mentality. And so one of the things I need to do is to find all the stuff that's wrong in my life, and I need to change myself. And if I can change myself enough, God will like me. The reason we do that is because that's how we live life on this earth. You know, you, you when... You remember the days when, when uh, ladies, when the boys would come courting, and uh, y'all'd wash your hair and probably put on some stinky stuff, and you'd even brush your teeth and mind your manners and 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 act very. You know, Mama would remind you to be ladylike. You know those kinds of things. Even though you're at home, you act like wild uh, horses. But you go out. Why? Because you want that boy to like you. We spend our whole life doing that. We, we, one of the reasons why people struggle with who they are is because we're always trying to find a way. I gotta do things, change myself so that you'll accept me, so that you'll like me. What God tells us is this. Listen real close to this. God's not asking you to change yourself. What God is telling you is that in Christ you're already changed. Everything that needs to happen in your life in order for you to be what God wants you to be, that's already been done for you. That's why Jesus comes to live in us. Why the, there, there are several images in the New Testament of the fact that, that Jesus comes to live in us, that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because everything that is necessary for you to live the Christian life, even the empowerment of the Christian life, is already in you. So what God wants you to do tonight is just go out and live the Christian life. Just be what God has already made you to be. He's already changed you. There's not anything that you can fix in your life where God's going to go, well, I'm glad you finally did that. I now like you. No, no, no. That's, that's not what God says. Jesus died. See, when Christ died on the cross, He died because He, in His death, He changed us. Second thing, you said, what else did He do? Well, 
He, he, he's changed our lives. He, secondly, has forgiven our sins. We dealt with this pretty extensively yesterday. But I want you to look at, look at the text of, of what Paul says. He says in you, this is, this is uh, verse 13, he says, You being raised from your, in your trespasses, notice the word that's used there, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. There are two words in the New Testament that, primary words that are translated dealing with the issue of sin. One is the word that we dealt with yesterday. For, you know, if we confess our sins, that idea of missing the mark, that's not the word that's used here. This word is the one that is translated here, trespass. The trespass is a word that, that carries the idea of falling aside or to deviate from the truth. The word sin deals with the issue that we are born with a nature to sin. See, the reason why we're sinners is because we are born with the inability to be what God is. We fall short of the glory of God. So there's that standard, and there's not anybody that's ever going to reach that standard. So, so there is that, that nature uh, David declared in the Psalms, he said, "In sin did my mother conceive me." And he didn't mean that she was, he was an illeg- had an illegitimate birth. What he was talking about is that when he was born, he was born with a nature to sin. But the word trespass is a different word because it is a word that deals with the issue of the choice of sin. So the reason why we sin is not only because we have a nature to sin, the reason why we sin is because we choose to sin. Can I get an amen from the congregation? If y'all will amen, we'll get out of here a lot faster. I'll get to preaching really fast. So let me, you know, just get, get to practicing some of those amens, all right? We, we, we have that nature to sin, which means there's, there's that natural ability. I mean, you, you look at a child... Uh, I have uh, mentioned five grandkids, and I will just tell you that they and my daughter are perfect. Uh, I have two sons, and uh, the the joke I always do they they don't ever come hear me preach. When when the three of them are are there, I'll say, you know, my wife and I have two wonderful children and another child, and then I let them figure out who I'm talking about. You know, they always go, Dad, you're not supposed to say that. You know. Well, when you have children, you ever noticed how with children, you didn't have to teach them how to do wrong? When, when my middle child was born, my son, I had already had the daughter, he just knew how to push her buttons. I didn't sit him down and say, now son, you're, you're the second child, and as the boy, you're supposed to aggravate your sister. And let me teach you how. Let's go into the back bedroom, and I'm going to teach you how to aggravate your sister. He just naturally knew not only how to aggravate her, but he would figure out what would push her buttons, and he would push her buttons just to hear her scream. It, it, it's, it, it's amazing. You know, they, you ever notice how, how children will lie? Any, anybody ever get their kids? How many of y'all have children? 
Alright, how many of did, did you take them in the back bedroom and say, listen, in order to get along in life, I need to teach you how to lie? Anybody? I mean, what do you do? But somehow, they, they're, they're in the kitchen, and they come out, and you say, did you get a cookie out of the cookie jar? And they've got chocolate all over their mouth, and they'll go, no. And you go, you little liar! <laughs> you know, where did you learn to lie like that? The reason is because there is the natural ability for us to sin. That is the sin nature. If you ever wonder what, what the Bible says about sin nature, just look at a child and you'll understand that. You can understand there is that nature. And eventually, they, they begin to act on that. But the real point is this. The reason why we sin is not because somebody sticks a gun to our head and makes us sin. We sin because we choose to sin. If all it was was something natural, I think we could make excuses for it. I think that, that we could probably deal with the issue. But the fact that we willfully sin against God, and especially after we're saved, we sometimes willfully sin against God. That's why a lot of times we don't experience revival. That's why we struggle in the Christian life. It's not what's happened up to the point of salvation because, well, God's forgiven me of that. But it's since we got saved and since we became a follower of Christ, then there's that moment of rebellion. There's that time of choice where we've chosen to disobey God and we struggle with that. So here's what Paul says. He says... He has made you alive. We were dead in our sin, but He has made us alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Not only has He forgiven the fact that we are born with the nature to sin and we act on that, but He forgives us of even the willful acts of disobedience. Two things to note there. He says, having forgiven. He has forgiven us. That that means that it's a finished work. It's done. But the benefits of it continue on. Now, some, some will say, well, would, that can't be so because what that teaches us is then that as Christians we can just go out and live in sin. I mean, if God has forgiven us and He continues to forgive, we can just go out and live in sin. What they fail to understand is the work of the Holy Spirit and conviction in our life. And so that that's not so. If somebody could say they're a Christian and go out and live in willful sin and never feel any conviction, they don't know Christ. They, they have misunderstood what it means to be saved. So that's how, how I would answer that issue. If somebody says, well, I'm a Christian, but I go and, and live in sin, I don't believe they've ever been genuinely saved. Because when you are genuinely saved, genuinely saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, and He stays in you, and He brings about that conviction to remind us about living the Christian life. So we won't do that. But He has forgiven, meaning that every sin that has been and will be in our life, the benefit of the cross... Now listen to this. The benefit of the cross continues to bear witness on your life. The benefit of the cross continues to bring benefit to your life. And what He says here is that He has forgiven us of all trespasses. Now... 
I went in the dictionary and, and I looked up what the word all means. You know what the word all means in the dictionary, in Webster's Dictionary? It means all. That's what it means. All trespasses. You see, see, here's what we do. Here's the spiritual battle that some of you are having is, I know that God forgives, but here's that sin, here's that attitude, here's that past, here's that behavior, here's that action, here's that thing, and I know that God forgives, but, but here's this one. I just don't know if He can forgive that. And what you need to do is go to the text and read what God says, and God says that He has forgiven us all trespasses. So every act of rebellion that has been in your life, every way that you have deviated from the truth of the Word of God, the power of the cross is that it is enough to forgive. So when Christ died on the cross, see, I mean, you understand that fact and revival comes. When you can come to the come to grips with the fact that Jesus Christ has forgiven us of all our acts of rebellion, man, that's when revival begins in your heart. So what did Jesus do on the cross? Well, He changed, He's changed our lives. He has forgiven our sins. Number three, He has removed our guilt. Paul then goes back into an image of the Old Testament. Verse 14, where he says, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, contrary to us, he's taken it out of the way. He has nailed it to the cross. Back uh, during Paul's day, uh, writing paper uh, was very scarce. You had uh, papyrus that you could write on. You also would could have what's called a vellum, which was basically uh, animal skin that was used, and you, you could write on it. If you wrote on it with a pen that had acid in it, then it was permanent. But if you wanted to reuse that piece of paper, you would write on it in a pen that, with ink that did not have acid in it, and then once it dried, if you wanted to reuse it, you could wipe it off. That's the image that that Paul is making. He's making reference to the, to the law of Moses. See, the law of Moses. Say, why did God give the, the law of Moses? Well, one reason was that the law was given in order to distinguish the Jews as being the people of God. But spiritually, the reason the law was given was to show that no one could earn their, their way into heaven. I mean, all God had to go, do was give ten laws. And there's not anybody that can keep the ten laws. I mean, you can break it down to one or two. I mean, let's break it down to one. Honor your father and mother. Anybody take her on that one to say, I've always honored my, honored my mom and dad? I, I don't think there's anybody in this room that really has done that. We've tried, but I guarantee you there's times we've dishonored mom and dad. Having no other gods before him, I mean, I don't know about that one, you know. Uh, don't steal, don't murder. You know, Jesus kind of took that one and explained it a little bit more about, you know, if you hate your brother, you, you've already murdered him in your heart. So, I mean, you, you can just go down the line, go down the list and say, just one law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and, and mind and strength. I mean, we hadn't done that one. So why did God give the law? God gave the law to show us that we could not earn our way into heaven. And it was a constant reminder. You think about the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. 
reason why people don't want the Ten Commandments to be put up on stuff is because they don't want to be reminded of the junk we do. I mean, who wants to... To, to go by the, the, the Ten Commandments after you've been out on a night running around and doing things you shouldn't ought to do. You don't want to see that. That's, that's why people don't like the Ten Commandments. We don't want to be reminded of that. It's a constant reminder of our sin. Uh, I used to work at the uh, A&P. Any, did they have A&Ps around here? Uh, okay. Wonderful grocery chain. They, they went out of business, but uh, worked for the A&P. And uh, when when, uh, when you'd write a check, pay for your groceries, if your check bounced, the manager we had used to take your check, and we had a big bulletin board on the the at the manager's office, and he would take that check and stick it up on the bulletin board for God and everybody to see. And so people would come by buying their groceries, and there would be their, their those checks right there. You know, here are all the bounced checks. If one of these belong to you, you need to pay up your you know, pay up your bill. A constant reminder of failure and sin. I, I don't know if it ever worked. I don't know if anybody ever paid, paid their check off. But, but I bet they never came back to the A&P. You know, I bet they never showed up again. But, you know, it's, it was that constant reminder. Well, you think about our sin and how our mind is. We constantly remind ourselves of those things. Here's what God says. God says that He's taken every sin that you've ever committed and every sin that, that uh, pours guilt on you and a reminder of your failure and everything that, he, that has been written down and He has wiped the slate clean. I mean, when you understand you're clean before the Lord tonight, now, I don't know what it is, you know, I, I talked about that yesterday. I don't know what it is that you carry with you and what guilt it is that you carry with you. But I can just tell you that Jesus, when He died on the cross, it was enough. Nothing else needed to be added. Nothing more needed to be said. What Jesus did on the cross was enough because when He died, He erased, He wiped it out, the requirements, the reminder, everything that was there to remind us of our past. When Jesus died on the cross, He took all of it and He nailed it on the cross with Him. And it's gone. He wiped the slate clean. Here's the last thing He did. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, you say, what, what, how does that deal with revival? Well, he, he changed our lives. He's forgiven our sins. He's removed our guilt. Last thing is, He has provided our victory. Verse 15, He says, He's disarmed the principalities and powers, and He's made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. To disarm, this was an image. Now, now Paul draws an image from from the current culture of the Roman army, when the Roman army would go out and, and they would conquer another city or a province or an area, they would not only take the spoils of that city and bring it back to, their, to, to Rome, but oftentimes they would bring back with them individuals, the, the generals, members of the army, member, members of the, of the government. 
And they would have a grand parade there in Rome so that when the army would come through, not only would there be the, the, the generals of the Roman army and the army, the, the soldiers themselves, but then there would be paraded the spoils of victory and they would see all of the, the, the material possessions that they've taken captive, but then there would be the people. To disarm was a word which means that they'd been stripped of their honor. You, you think of, here's a general and, and all of his medals and all of the awards and everything that he had, you know, the, uh, the uh, gala splendor of, of arraignment that he, that he would wear, all that is stripped away. And then he says that he's made this public spectacle of them triumphing over them. This is where they are brought through the city and the city reviles them, and the city laughs at them, and the city mocks them, because it is the fact that Rome has conquered. Now, here's what I want you to think about. When Jesus died on the cross, He was not some little emaciated worm who died because He had no power to overcome death. It is not the fact that when He died and was raised from the dead that he barely won the victory. I mean, he just won it by, by just the, the sheer skin of his teeth, and Satan is wanting a rematch. When Jesus died on the cross, he completely and fully and absolutely defeated the enemies of God. See, here's one of the problems that we have. We give Satan way too much credit. We think Satan has power over us. Now, I'm not going to deny that Satan is a powerful being. There, that is very true. All you have to do is read Ephesians 6. You understand that there is power. But you need to understand that in Christ, Satan has no power over you. Why? Because Christ has won the victory. He's made a spectacle of Satan. It is not that we're in this life and death battle. We're just holding on. I, I remember this, this hymn from years ago that, that talked about, uh, uh, Hold the fort, for I am coming. And all around me there are the, the comrades falling, but I'm holding the fort until Jesus comes and I will be faithful. I mean, it's this image like we're just holding on and Satan's just beating the tar out of us and we just can't wait for Jesus to come and deliver us. Let me tell you something. That is not the image we have of the Christian life. Satan cannot defeat you. And the reason is because he's already defeated. My, my wife is, is a country girl. Now, I, I, I don't know if you all know the, the difference between... She, she's a southern girl, but she's country girl. Let me explain to you the difference. If you hurt a southern girl's feelings... She'll cry. You hurt a country girl's feelings, she'll kill you. <laughs> My wife's country girl. And uh, she grew up on the farm. And some of y'all remember those days when uh, it was time to have a chicken. And you'd go out in the, in the yard and you'd grab a chicken and wring its neck. And you, all, you learned, you, if you didn't listen to mom when she would tell you how to do it, you learned real quick because you wring that chicken's neck and it's still going to be running around. I mean, it's, kinda, it's one of the most amazing things of how God created the chicken that you can pop its, its head off. No offense not to get overly gross, but 
you know, and the thing's still running around the barnyard. And, and if you get too close, it'll still scratch you. You learn you kill the chicken, you let it quit messing around, then you pick it up and, and take it in the house. Satan is a chicken with his head cut off. Just remember that. At the cross, Moses, in writing under the inspiration of God, said that Jesus, though Satan would bruise his heel, Jesus would crush the head of Satan. And so now it is this image, yes, Satan's still running around. You start messing around with him and start messing around with the things of evil, listen, you're going to get scratched. But what you need to remember is Satan is already defeated. The battle has already been won. The victory is already there. What God wants you to do is to go out and live in it. Yes, we live in a world of evil. And because we live in a world of evil... See, here's the question people are having. Why didn't God stop what happened today? Listen, we live in a world of evil. And until Jesus comes back and and returns and brings in His second advent... Evil is still going to happen in our world. It is not that God has forgotten us. It is the fact that is the consequence. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. There are consequences for sin. But you as a Christian live in victory. Realize that tonight. Satan has no power over you. Jesus made a public spectacle. You can imagine, I would assume, because Satan is, is not, doesn't have all knowledge, he's not omniscient, that when Jesus died on the cross, there was great celebration in hell because he thought, we have won, we have killed the Son of God, not realizing that three days later he, rose, he would rise from the dead. And at that moment, everything we need to live the Christian life is done. Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. So let revival not only be the fact that we understand that we're saved and and we have that salvation, but remember what it means for Jesus to have died for you. That He changed you that He forgave you, that He removed whatever guilt that you have, that He's provided the victory that you need. And what God wants us to do, you say, how do we know revivals come to our church? It's when you and I as Christians do this. Let's leave here tonight. Celebrate what God has done for us in Christ and go out and be what God has already made us to be. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You tonight for (coughs) the teaching of Your Word. And I I pray, Father, that as we have a time to respond and a time to ponder these things, that You would do a mighty, mighty thing during these next few moments. We are thankful, God, that Jesus has won the victory. And so tonight we come... Lord, to celebrate that. And it's in the holiness of Your name, our Savior Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Tonight, uh, again, if you have never trusted in Jesus, if you don't know Him as your Savior, I want to invite you.
to make that decision to follow Christ. Again, uh, Brother Dave, Brother Ron will be here. You, you come speak to them. We're going to stand just a second, sing this hymn of invitation. You just come speak with them and say, hey, tell me how I can know Christ tonight. And, and if, if you want to talk after the service, I'll be hanging around and love to talk with you more. Come up and say, hey, tell me how I can know Christ. Whatever we got to do to help you make that decision and, and for you to make it on your own with no force, no, no pressure, you decide to follow Christ, let us do that. But tonight as a believer, are you living out what God has made you to be? Are you struggling with your past? Are you struggling with what you think you ought to be to please God, not realizing that because you are in Christ, you please Him? Are you, are you living out of guilt? Are you living out of, of what sin has done, not realizing that Christ has forgiven you of all of that? Are you struggling with things of evil and, and where you are in the world, not realizing that you don't have to be like the world because we have victory over the world? Fronts an altar. We, I, I'll invite you to come and pray. Come pray with one of these men, one of the deacons here, or with Pastor Ron, and and uh, however we can help you, you let us do that. Let's stand. What are we going to sing? Two ninety-five. And would you come and lead us? Could you come do that and lead us in that hymn of invitation? And and uh, as God speaks to your heart, what we'll do, we'll just invite you to come and respond as God speaks.